Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Friday, March 10th slate of college basketball DFS on DraftKings and FanDuel. It looks like we're getting yet again another day on conference tournament week where we have early slates and late slates for both DraftKings and FanDuel. Not complaining at all, but the one thing that it does do is it kind of gives these late slates a quick turnaround because really the salaries aren't getting out until kind of late in the morning. Um, So we're going to do this podcast in the format that we've done all week where I'm going to do my full breakdown of the early slate. And then the late slate, I'm going to be kind of projecting salaries unknown, um, just what I expect to happen in all the games that are going to be on the late slate, um, and just kind of you know projecting what that might look like, um, and hopefully giving you guys some names that you can get into your lineups for that late slate. This will be the last episode of the week for Conference Tournament Week. Um, we will be back Monday after Selection Sunday. We're going to be doing a bracket breakdown episode with a special guest. Um, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast feed. You'll be notified when that episode drops. And then also next week, we will be doing the DFS shows for college basketball. Uh, hopefully they do a first four slate and an NCAA tournament slate and so we can get all those in. Um but this will be my last episode of this week. I'm actually headed out of town. Um, so if you want my full thoughts on the slates on Saturday and Sunday, follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. I'm more than happy to answer any lineup questions, and I'm also going to be posting all of my thoughts on there for the weekend slates. All right, so that does it for the introduction, y'all. Let's go ahead and dive into the early slate. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. <laughs> So this Friday early slate is actually quite different from the one that we were gifted on Thursday. This one here on Friday is a little bit smaller, only six games, and it doesn't really have any clear-cut game stacking opportunities like Thursdays where you had the Wake-Miami game and the St. John's-Marquette game. Just a lot of games with high totals on Thursdays. Friday is not the case. Many of the games aren't even over 140, Um, and so you're just probably going to see generally less scoring on this Friday slate than you saw on Thursday. Less option to choose from. Um, lesser scoring games. So this one might be a little bit rougher than the Thursday slate was. Now, I do want to mention the Tennessee and Missouri game, though. That one has the highest total on the slate at 142.5. Ken Palm has it as Tennessee 77 to 69. The first matchup between these two teams was an 86 to 85 Missouri win. Now, here's, you know, a little bit of stats why I think this is an especially good matchup for Tennessee in terms of fantasy scoring. Missouri is 83rd in the nation in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm, which is a big tempo up boost for Tennessee. And then Missouri is 363rd in the nation at giving up offensive rebounds, according to Ken Palm. If you did not know, there are 363 teams in college basketball. So Missouri is statistically the worst team at giving up offensive rebounds in the nation. And Tennessee is fifth in the nation at getting offensive rebounds. So in other words, this is not the game to rely on your Missouri guys getting defensive rebounds because they're going to be going up against an offensive rebounding juggernaut, and it's something they're not good at. Now, it's also worth noting that Tennessee is playing without Zakai Ziegler, which is going to open up a little bit of a usage hole that's going to kind of be filled by everybody else on their team. We're going to mention a few of those guys. Um, But that does it for that game. This game with the second highest total is Temple versus Cincinnati. Um, It's the only other game over 140 at 141.5. And then, also worth mentioning, in terms of team totals, Houston ties Tennessee for the highest team total, according to Ken Palm, at 77 points. So if you're looking to game stack, those are really your main opportunities to do so right there. So now let's do the position-by-position breakdown. Let's start with the guards. So the top of the board is Kobe Brown, who is dual eligibility on DraftKings and 
I'll be honest, I don't even think he's a guard at all. Um, he should just be a forward. But anyway, we'll, we'll never complain about dual eligibility, right? Now, Kobe Brown did have 33 fantasy points in the last matchup against Tennessee. Uh, now, what was encouraging, though, was that he did have a 33% usage rate in that game. So... I would generally think that a guy that records as much peripheral stats as Kobe Brown does would do a little more with a 33% usage rate than he did, right? Now, what is concerning, though, is he hasn't been over 23% usage in his last three games. They've been more balanced as a team in terms of how they've been distributing their usage, and it's kind of seen Brown's production dip a little bit as he hasn't had more than 27 fantasy points in his last three. I think he is worth it as a game stacking option, especially because he gives you that flexibility with dual eligibility, but I am not expecting a ceiling game from Kobe Brown in this one. Houston's Marcus Sasser is worth mentioning. He's hit four times value in five of his last seven games, and the only two that he didn't hit value were both against the Memphis Tigers, which is kind of a wild stat. Anyway, he also had 35.8 fantasy points against ECU, which is who he is playing on Friday, and his usage rate has not dipped below 20% in a game in the last month. You're getting a super consistent performer with Marcus Sasser. I think he is an elite-level cash game play. He maybe doesn't have as high of a ceiling as we would like for GPPs, but I definitely think that Marcus Sasser is in play on this Friday slate. For Cincinnati, there's two guys in the 8K range that are both worth talking about, and that's Landers Nolly and David DeJulius. For Nolly, his production has been up and down, but his usage has been super consistent. It has been over 24% in every game since February 1st. The question is if he can be efficient with that usage. When he shoots the ball well, he scores fantasy points well. Simple as that. Now, Temple is 112th in defensive efficiency and 251st in tempo, according to Ken Palm. Now, for context, that's fourth in defense in the AAC and ninth in tempo in the AAC. So this isn't exactly a great matchup for the Cincinnati guys going up against Tempo, or going up against Temple, I should say. Um, but it's definitely a chance where with not only having that consistent usage, if he is just able to knock down some shots and, you know, get some scoring opportunities in, he could give you a really good fancy day. Now, his teammate David Julius has come on really strong as of late, having over 26% usage in his last five games, and he's hit four times value in three of those last five. He had 31.8 fancy points against Temple, which is more than Landers now he had, and it's just under four times value. Between the two of them, I would probably be a little more inclined to play DeJulius, but I definitely don't mind going back to Nolly. I think that Nolly will be a little less owned than DeJulius is. Now, dipping down to the 7K range, we've got point guard Santiago Vescovi for Tennessee. He is running the point with Zakai Ziegler out of the lineup due to injury, and he has delivered in back-to-back -back games. Santiago Vescovi's had four times value in back-to-back -back games, and this is by far the best tempo matchup that he's gotten since he's been in this role. Uh, Missouri is going to push the tempo and give you a lot more possessions than both Auburn and Ole Miss. So I think this is a really good spot for him. And he's only done it with like not the best usage in the world either. He only had 21% usage today against Ole Miss. And that was all that it took for him to get four times value. Now, in fact, Josiah Jordan James of Tennessee had 28% usage today against Ole Miss. And he turned in a 32 fancy point performance against Ole Miss. I would be like willing to guarantee right now that when I go sit down to make my lineups, I'm going to be including Vescovy or Triple J. I just think that with the usage that those two are getting with the great matchup, it, whether I'm game stacking it, team stacking it, whatever, I think you got to include one of those two in your lineup. There's just too much opportunity um, to let that go to waste with those two guards. 
Now for Temple, Damian Dunn has been seeing incredible usage since Khalif Battle has left the team. He had his biggest game against Cincinnati with 47.8 fantasy points, and in that game he was only 9 for 21 from the field, which was not a good shooting performance. So you got to feel like if he just shoots the ball a little bit better, he could deliver you a better performance, right? And that was on 47.8 fantasy points. So I definitely really like the upside on Damian Dunn. I would not mind going back to him. Missouri's Des Moines Hodge is worth mentioning because he only had 24.8 fancy points against Tennessee the last time, but I definitely think he is an option to get to game stacking this Missouri-Tennessee game. He's less cheaper than Kobe Brown, and he's shown you pretty much the same ceiling as Kobe Brown. He's given you some real ceiling performances in the past month, and so I definitely think that Hodge is worth a look if you are interested in game stacking. I probably wouldn't play him as a one-off, but if you're game stacking this Missouri-Tennessee game, I definitely think he's an option. All right, now heading down the board, a little bit of a rapid fire here. Of all the other Houston guards not named Marcus Sasser, Tremont Mark had the biggest game against ECU with 36.8 fantasy points. It, apparently, that matchup shapes up pretty well for him. Hazier Miller of Temple had 31.3 fantasy points against Cincinnati, and he's yet another guy whose usage increased when Khalif Battle left the program. Heading down to the 5K range, there's a lot of guys I like in the 5K range, y'all. First off is Bruce Thornton of Ohio State. The situation that I just could not quit was the Ohio State point guard situation, and it's finally paying dividends. Thornton's now over 25 fantasy points in five of his last six games, and he just had 27.5 fantasy points against Michigan State about a week ago, uh, and he's had at least a 20% usage rate in all of those six games. Uh, I think this is a great spot for Thornton, uh, and I'm going to keep playing him on DraftKings until he either stops performing or until Chris Holtman benches him for no reason or until DraftKings puts him at about 8K um, because I'll be honest, I think he's going to keep doing his thing as long as Ohio State stays in this tournament. Now, also in the 5K range, I think that Deshaun Davis of Mississippi State and Jaleel White of Temple are a little bit underpriced. I could very easily see them in the upper 5Ks as opposed to the lowers, so they're definitely worth a little bit of a look. Uh, and then I do like DeAndre Golston of Missouri. He's had back-to-back games over 25 fantasy points. In fact, with his recent string, he is now their team leader in usage rate on the season. He's been over 22% usage in five straight games. And in their first matchup against Tennessee, he had a 26% usage rate in that game with a 29 fantasy point performance. So I think this could be a really good spot for DeAndre Golston. Again, names keep popping up from this Missouri-Tennessee game. I don't know if I'm going to full-on stack it, but I definitely think there's a lot of opportunity to be had with a lot of these guys. Alabama's Javon Quinterly. We mentioned here on the podcast before, he was an all-SEC level performer last year until he got hurt, and he's now starting to find some of that form that he had before the injury last season. He's played over 30 minutes in his last two games, and he's really starting to take over that point guard spot for Nate Oates in that Alabama offense. And on the season, Quinterly's been just about a fancy point per minute guy, right? And so if he's going to continue to see about 30 minutes a game, then you can expect about 30 fancy points. And at $5,100 right now on DraftKings, that's just too cheap. And I definitely think he will be popular, but I definitely think he's got a ton of upside heading into this SEC tournament. In the 4K range, I got to talk about Brandon Newman because... I didn't talk about him on Sunday. <laughs> he actually made me a believer uh, in playing him on Sunday. So um, Sunday was, if you are not aware, last Sunday was when Brandon Newman absolutely broke the DraftKings slate, right? Um, he had 41 fancy points, and he was about 40% owned. And if you didn't have him, you were kind of screwed. And I was somebody who didn't have him. I had a lineup that cashed without him, and it was like a miracle, right? So let me tell you just what I was thinking pre-Sunday, because I did not mention him on the podcast intentionally. 
Um, and then where we're at now, right? So I did not think that what he was doing was sustainable. So when you look at what Brandon Miller was doing, he was you know having a usage rate under 20%. He was playing 23 minutes or less, and he was having at least two steals in a game, and he was only getting about 16 to 20 fantasy points out of it. So I just didn't think that it was very sustainable when you look at the lack of minutes, the lack of big-time usage, and the dependency on steals to get fantasy points, right? He didn't have a game in double digits scoring until Sunday. Now, on Sunday, you know, everybody just kind of looked at the game log, saw three games of 16 or more points, and the fact that he was $3,100 and just went, boom, plug him in. And then that's when he has the monster game. He plays 34 minutes. He scores 19 points, still gets his three steals, and then has 41 fantasy points, right? And so basically, if you didn't play him, you were just really in trouble. Now, what I should have considered, you know, when I was looking at all those stats was he was only 3,100 hours. And so even if he didn't give you the same performances he was giving that I thought were kind of fluky, if he just gave you 60% of that and got to 12 points, then he was going to hit four times value. And so that's the big thing with Brandon Newman is I still don't know if necessarily it's super sustainable, but it doesn't have to be super sustainable when he's priced down here. Right now he's at $4,100, so he only needs 16 points to you know hit value, which is what he's done last four games in a row. And so I definitely think that it's worth going back to him. He might be popular again. He might be unpopular from the people like me who didn't play him, but I definitely think he's worth a look at that salary as long as this run continues for him, he's worth a look until his salary boxes him out. Now, in the 3K range, a guy that is worth mentioning is Ohio State's Roddy Gale. They seem determined to play him and give him minutes. Uh, he's gotten at least 20 minutes in back-to-back games, and he has done pretty well. He's had at least 16 fantasy points in both of those games. So um, I think he is worth a look. Also, he could be a sneaky value play. Uh, and then another sneaky value play on DraftKings, FanDuel has him priced way up, uh, is Derek Simpson of Rutgers. He moved into the starting lineup for Andre Hyatt on Thursday, and he responded with 27.8 fantasy points in 36 minutes. Um, I don't know what prompted the move to the starting lineup. I don't know if it's going to stick, but I definitely think it, the salary he's at on DraftKings, that's worth a look. Because again, same concept that we talked about with Brandon Newman is he doesn't have to light the world on fire for him to hit value, right? He just needs to get you 12 to 15 and we'll just go about our day and hope that everybody else hits value. All right, so that does it for the early slate guard position. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas. So let's start our analysis of the four position with the biggest fella of them all, and that is Zach Eady of Purdue. And I got to be honest, y'all, I don't know if this is the best slate out there to pay up for Zach Eady. I just kind of just had this feeling like there's a lot of guys that I want to get to in the 6K and 7K range um, at both positions that I just don't know if I will be able to find enough value to, you know, bring that 11K price tag of Zach Eady into my lineup. Now, the matchup against Rutgers is... On paper, not that great because Clifford Rumi is a pretty good interior defender. I know I just butchered that name. But anyway, he's a pretty good interior defender. And throughout the season, Biggs hadn't done a whole lot against Rutgers until, you know, today. Hunter Dickinson just put up 41 fancy points against Rutgers. Zach Eady had 40 fancy points the last time that they played Rutgers, and that was actually in a Purdue loss. So I kind of think that... Zach Eady, if you just want a simple 4x return on value 
then yes, he's absolutely worth it. If you want to play him in a GPP, I don't know if I'm going to get there. I just don't know if at that salary, he gives you legitimate 5X, 6X upside that some of these other guys are going to just because of how big his salary is. Now, he can make me look totally dumb with by putting up like 70 fantasy points. He's capable of that, but I don't think it's very likely, and I will probably pass on Zach Eady for this slate. Another guy that I'm going to be passing on for this slate is Brandon Miller of Alabama. So believe it or not, Brandon Miller... At his current salary, he's only hit four times value once in the last month, and that was that ceiling game against South Carolina on that Thursday night where all the controversy was going down, and he had like 40 actual points, 60-something fantasy points, hit the game winner, and just it was amazing, right? But that's the only time in the past month he's gone over four times value. And so he has the capability for that ceiling game, but I just don't think that this is the ceiling game. Mississippi State plays at a snail's pace tempo. They're in the 300s in tempo in Kempom. And Brandon Miller only had 31.5 fancy points against Mississippi State the last time these two teams played. So you're not getting the four times, five times value performances, and the ceiling performance is not likely. It's a pass for me on Brandon Miller. Now, on the other side of that, Toulouse Smith of Mississippi State has had a really good end of the regular season into the start of the SEC tournament. He's had back-to-back 5X value games in which he's averaging about 1.4 fancy points per minute. And let me continue with the good news. 1.4 fancy points per minute is about what he did against Alabama the last time that these two teams played. So that rate has shown to be pretty sustainable for Tolu Smith. Here's the bad news. In that game against Alabama, he only played 21 minutes. So doing the math, he only had 28.8 fancy points. And so if he's able to stay on the floor against Alabama, then he has an incredible ceiling. But if he's just going to do the same thing he did against them last time where he only plays 21 minutes, he's going to be capped out at about 28 to 30 fantasy points. So I do think Toulouse Smith gives you a lot of upside, but he does present considerable risk as well because he's got to be out there to get you those fantasy points. Now down in the 7K range, we have the continued bonus usage for Ohio State Buckeyes, Bryce Sensiball, and Justice Suing. With the injury to Zed Key, both of these guys have been seeing much additional usage, much additional shots, much additional rebounds. And between the two of them, I think I'm willing to play both of them, but I'm definitely leaning more towards Sensiball in a GPP-type format because he does give you a big ceiling. He also presents a little more risk with inconsistencies. Uh, and Suing is much more of a cash game play. He's been much more consistent and with his production and with his usage. And so I think both of them are in play. I don't necessarily think that I would play both of them together, but depending on the format you're playing, you might prefer one over the other. Now, it's also worth mentioning on the other side in that game that Joey Hauser is averaging 34 fantasy points against Ohio State this season, which is almost five times value for where his salary is. Now, also in the 7K range, I would be all over Victor Lacken of Cincinnati if I knew that he was going to get his full minute load, but I just don't have any confidence in that being the case. He hasn't played over 25 minutes since returning from his last injury, and so I don't know, maybe five days to rest. Maybe you might get that 30 minutes out of Victor Lacken and get that ceiling performance out of him, but I'm just not sold on him getting the full minutes and he's probably a fade for me because of that reason. But I do think if you if I were to have a conversation with Wes Miller tonight and he were to tell me, hey, Victor Lagan's going to play 30 minutes tomorrow, I'd be like, cool, locking him into my lineup. But I just don't know that you know we can bet on that with any kind of certainty. 
Heading down to the 6K range, I like DJ Jeffries in Mississippi State. He's a little bit intriguing to me, but my favorite play in this range is Ezra Asar of ECU. Against Houston, knowing how tough that Houston defense is, he's probably going to come in under-owned. This game does have a little bit of blow-up potential as well, which is going to cause people to avoid it, but that doesn't really seem to matter for Ezra Asar. He has delivered in all kinds of game flows, in all kinds of environments, and he's gotten some big-time minutes lately. He's been at least 30 minutes in three straight games, and he's had 28.5 fantasy points in his last performance against Houston. So I definitely think this could be a really good, really good leverage spot for Ezra Asar of ECU. Now heading to the 5K range, Noah Carter of Missouri seems to be getting the most minutes at the 5 position for Missouri right now, which could be pretty valuable against the Tennessee team that he's going to be needed to get boards against. Uh, he's got had at least 27 minutes and 25 fantasy points in two straight games, and if that continues, then you're going to be in luck if you play Noah Carter. Now, Still talking about Missouri and Tennessee. Missouri's weakness in giving up offensive boards, right? I haven't forgotten about that. That definitely opens up opportunities for Julian Phillips, Joseph Adu, and Toby Awaka, right? Because those are the three guys who, when you look at the rebounds, they have the highest offensive rebounding rate for Tennessee. Plosic is up there as well, but I just don't think he plays enough minutes. Uh, and then Toby Awaka, I'm probably going to cross off my list as well because he just doesn't play a high minute total. He does a lot when he's out there, but he just doesn't give you more than 20 minutes in a game. Um, Phillips, since returning from injury, he's been right around four times value in every game since he returned. And what's notable is that Adu's production has dropped significantly since Phillips came back. So between the three of them, I would much prefer Julian Phillips out of the three. And I definitely think that he gives you a lot of upside, again, against that Missouri team who is the worst team in the country in offensive rebounding. Or, well, I should say in giving up offensive rebounds. It's late at night, y'all. I worded that poorly. Missouri is bad at giving up offensive rebounds. That's what we know. Now, I'm also not going to give up on Felix Apara of Ohio State. He's been the replacement for Zed Key in their lineup. Um, he hasn't obviously gotten Zed Key's usage or minutes, but just playing that position uh, and getting that opportunity, th there's a little bit of upside there for Apara. And then Kalua Zipe of Cincinnati is worth a look. I mentioned earlier about Victor Lacken's minute totals, and they've been kind of eaten up a little bit by Zipe, right? If we ever get a questionable tag on Lacken or Odiaguama, the other big for Cincinnati. Azipe is a guy that I would plug in instantly. Um, he's a fancy point per minute guy, but the minute totals that he plays have been super inconsistent. So if you're really willing to roll the dice on a GPP play, he might be a guy that you could go with. All right, that does it for the forward spot for the early slate. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the night slate. All right, so for this night slate, I legitimately just had to do some quick research on some of these games that are either going final or like they've kind of been decided even though they're not final yet. Um, so I've kind of had to do some quick research on those games to get them here in the analysis for you. But I do believe that I have most, if not all, of the late slate um, here in this analysis, especially all the games that are going to give you any interest. Um, there might be one or two that I miss. If I do, I apologize. But hey, it's really hard to try to project what DraftKings is going to do with these slates when these games are literally being decided right now as I'm talking. All right, so... Let's start it off with the battle in the Big East between UConn and Marquette. 
that's a pretty good game, y'all. And it Ken Palm likes it too. It has it UConn 77 to 74, so over 150, which we like. Now, the team split both meetings this season in the regular season with over 158 points being scored in both of those games. This is a really juicy matchup to game stack. Both these teams will push the tempo. Now, Tyler Kolick of Marquette, he's been great all season. We've played him a lot, but he kind of struggled against UConn. He was limited to 28 and 23 fantasy points in those two games against UConn. In fact, Cam Jones and Omax Prosper did not fare well against UConn either in both games. And for UConn, Adama Sanogo was up and down. He had 32 fancy points and 15 fancy points in those two meetings. So what you get from these two games is like the stars haven't really shined all that bright for these two teams. You've gotten kind of some outlier games from role players, and you've also gotten the ceiling Tristan Newton game. He had over 45 fantasy points in one of the matchups against Marquette this season, and I'm not going to lie, y'all, it kind of makes sense. It sets up well for Tristan Newton. He leads the team in assists, right? And Marquette gives up a lot of assists. And so it kind of makes sense that he would have a double-double with over 10 assists and still give you a good scoring output game. So I could absolutely see this being another good game for Tristan Newton be, uh, with Andre Jackson Jr. as well because Andre Jackson Jr. gets you a lot of assists. I could see this being a good game for both of those guys. I also think on paper... It sets up well for Adama Sanogo. We've seen bigs have good performances against Marquette because um, Oso Iguodaro is so like afraid of fouling. And hey, I get it because foul trouble is a serious thing. If you watch Clemson NC State tonight, you understand why. But I just think that it should set up well for Sanogo, even though it hasn't really turned into good performances. So Tristan Newton's definitely on my radar. Um, if I'm looking to game stack, I'm probably going to pick up some of the role players from this game, like a Stevie Mitchell, like a David Joplin, like a Alex Caravan. Uh, and we'll just see kind of where that takes us. But I definitely think this is a game worth targeting for the late slate. Now, next up on the docket is Arkansas versus Texas A&M. Ken Palm has this one as Arkansas 72-51. to The previous matchups have been a super roller coaster. The last one was 62-56 to in favor of Texas A&M. The first one was 81-70 to in favor of Arkansas. So you've got two totally different results with totally different game flows, right? Now, for Arkansas, I'm willing to go back to Nick Smith Jr. Um, he just keeps delivering incredible usage and even though he hasn't had the ceiling performance in a few games, I just keep banking on his usage rate is higher than everybody else who's priced around him. And so if he stays in kind of the upper six, low 7K range, he's going to be a guy that I keep plugging into my lineups just because I'm getting a guy who I know is going to have basketball in his hands more than anybody who's priced near him. Now, A&M is an interesting team to play guys from. Their forward rotation is like kind of wild how much it changes from game to game, from week to week, from month to month, right? And Arkansas actually switched things up today. They benched both of the Mitchell twins. I've said all year that Nick Mut or Eric Musselman might not be able to tell the Mitchell twins apart, and so maybe he got tired of it and just benched both of them. But anyway, um, I really think that they wanted to go small today for whatever reason, and it kind of gave us some better performances from Anthony Black, and, and he re rebounded the ball very well. But I don't really think there's anybody on Texas A&M that can take advantage of Arkansas going small ball. Now, Henry Coleman had a big game against them in their first matchup, but the Mitchell Twins played a lot in that one, and Arkansas kind of played their normal rotation of guys. So I don't really know what to expect from this one. A&M's hard to predict. Arkansas's hard to predict. Nick Smith Jr.'s usage is about the one thing that is not hard to predict, and he's probably the main guy from this game that I'm going to be targeting. 
Next up on the docket is Penn State Northwestern, which is a matchup that we saw pretty recently where Penn State beat Northwestern 68 to 65 in overtime. Kent Palm has it as Northwestern 68 to 67, which is a fairly similar total to what we got in the previous overtime game. Now, the last game actually kind of turned into a showdown between Cameron Winter and Boo Booey. Both of them gave you big time performances. Jalen Pickett was actually kind of limited offensively. He only scored seven points, but he did so much with the peripheral stats. He still got to 34.5 fantasy points. So I definitely think Jalen Pickett is worth a look because if he's able to get those kind of peripheral stats again and he just scores the ball, I don't know, maybe 15 points instead of seven, then he gets you the double-double bonus and he's going to get you to 40 fantasy points pretty quickly, right? Now his usage rate, which we had been monitoring on yesterday's episode, well, I guess technically it was the episode for today's games that we recorded yesterday. Anyway, in our most recent episode, we had a concern about Jalen Pickett's usage about how it kind of had dipped below 25% recently. And it was back up to 26% today. So I definitely think that Jalen Pickett is worth a look in your lineups. Cameron Winter, if he doesn't get price adjusted, is probably going to be a lock for me. I've been playing him a lot lately while he's on this run, and I see no reason to go away from it. Next up is Iowa State, Kansas. Ken Palm has it as Kansas 68 to 64. This is a like matchup of strengths with the Kansas offense going against the Iowa State defense. And Iowa State, for whatever reason, is playing better without Caleb Grill. And you know, he kind of got, I believe, I don't know what the correct wording of this, but he is no longer with the team, right? Um, and so what you've gotten since Caleb Grill is no longer a part of the team is you've gotten more Jaron Holmes and more Tam and Lipsy. Both had over a 25% usage rate today against Baylor, and I am not opposed to going back to either of them. In fact, I think Lipsy has the better matchup. We know how good of an on-ball defender Kevin McCuller is, and I have a feeling he is going to be on Jaron Holmes in this matchup, which will give Lipsy a little bit of advantage over either Grady Dick or Dewan Harris. Trey King for Iowa State also moved into the starting lineup and had 10 and 6 today. That's worth monitoring. If he stays there in the low um, low 4K to high 3K range, I definitely think he is worth a look. And then Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris are two guys for Kansas that went kind of under-owned today um, going up against West Virginia, and I think that will be the case again tomorrow. I, I think the general sentiment was that they were a little overpriced um, and so they kind of went under-owned, but both of them give you a pretty good ceiling, especially Wilson, who had 39.8 fantasy points in the last meeting between these two teams. I think this is another good spot for Jalen Wilson, especially if he comes in with low ownership. Duke-Miami is another interesting matchup. Ken Palm has it as Duke 74-72. to The two teams split the season series with 140 and 134 points scored in both games, which is not ideal, but... The really the up and downs of those two games are what's worth noting, right? Jordan Miller and Norchad O'Meara had big games both times for Miami, and Derek Lively had a big game both times for Duke. Now, Kyle Filipowski, Jeremy Roach, and Nigel Pack both had, or all three had, excuse me, that's Filipowski, I'm, I'm really stumbling here, y'all, it's late at night. Filipowski, Roach, and Pack all had one big game in this season series. Isaiah Wong for Miami was bad in both games in this series. So if you're just banking off recent performance, Miller and Omir get a plus, Wong gets a minus. Now this is a huge contrast of styles. Duke is one of the tallest teams in the nation. Miami is one of the shortest. They played Norchad Omir at 6'7 at the center position. Jordan Miller is essentially a guard playing the four spot at about 6'6. So Duke, on the other hand, plays two seven-footers, Filipowski and Lively. So I don't really know what to expect in this one because this is the speed of Miami versus the, the height and the length of Duke. Uh, and so big contrast to styles. And I don't really know what to expect. 
I would maybe be willing to go back to Omir. He seemed to kind of have these two guys' number. Um, I think the fact that Omir is like a grown man down there at about 23, and he's going up against two college freshmen, he's kind of able to just, you know, throw them around on the boards. And I definitely think that he is worth a look. Um, Jordan Miller playing a small ball for probably worth a look also. But at the same time, Filipowski and Lively um, are also worth a look because on the offensive end, they can use their length to their advantage. Next up is UCLA versus Oregon. And Ken Palm has this one as UCLA 72 to 64. The main thing I want to talk about this one, because Oregon is a team that's kind of hard to project, uh, is UCLA. They played their first game today without Jalen Clark, who is out for the season. And in that game, Tiger Campbell continued on his recent good run. He had 37 fantasy points. I believe that is five straight games over 32 fantasy points now for Tiger Campbell. If he stays in the 7K range, he's a great play. However, Amari Bailey was the beneficiary of Jalen Clark's usage and minutes. He was the star of their game today against Colorado. He had 31% usage rate and 36 fantasy points. If I were to try to find a nit to pick about Amari Bailey, it was that he didn't do a whole lot else besides score. But if he's going to continue getting 31% usage and continue shooting the ball the way he did, that's all he needs to do to give you value. Um, he was very low owned today. He was a guy I had in the early slate, actually. And so I was very pleased with the performance. And I wouldn't mind going back to him. Um, I would prefer to see him stay in the 6K range if I'm going to be going back to him. UVA versus Clemson. Virginia versus Clemson is also worth mentioning. This game is going to be a rock fight, so by no means am I saying the game stack it. Kempom has it as UVA 66 to 65. Ben Vanderplas um, got declared earlier today that he was out for the season. And so what you're going to see for Virginia is you're going to see a higher usage rate for Jaden Gardner down low, and you're going to see a lot of minutes for Caden Shedrick. And Caden Shedrick checked in today at the minimum price on DraftKings. Um, and if he stays there, then he's as good as a lineup lock, in my opinion, because he's going to be picking up those minutes uh, and he's going to get you the points and the rebounds, especially against a team like Clemson that plays two bigs. You're going to have to play bigger with your lineups against that team. And so I definitely think that Shedrick is going to be worth a look if his price stays down. Vanderbilt versus Kentucky is a game where, with Vanderbilt, Liam Robinson has been out for a few games now, so we kind of know what we're getting with them. Um, Julian Wright is going to see a huge usage rate. He gives you dual eligibility. Great play. I hope his price stays down. For Kentucky, you got to see which guards are healthy. Um, I expect that we're going to get Kaysan Wallace back. I don't know if we're going to get Xavier Wheeler back. But either way, the health of those guards is going to determine the viability of them. If all of them are healthy, they're kind of not worth it, in my opinion. Um, if you just get one of Wallace back and Wheeler back, um, Antonio Reeves might be worth going back to. Um, but I definitely think that you've got to check the status of those guards before you put any of these guys into your lineup. Now, the last one that I got to talk about is Texas versus TCU. That one got decided like right before I hopped on uh, with TCU beating Kansas State. Uh, so Timmy Allen was kind of a late scratch today for Texas, um, kind of unexpected. He was listed as day-to-day. -day, so we do not know if we're going to get him or not. I would kind of lean on the side of they're playing for the NCAA tournament, not the Big 12 tournament. And so I kind of would expect them to sit him this week, get him an extra six days of rest. Um, and so with Timmy Allen being out, he's a guy that did a lot of rebounding for the Longhorns. And Serge Barry Rice moved right into the starting lineup. And even though he's a guard, he is considerably smaller. He stepped into the three spot and he was not afraid to go down there and get boards. And he gave a big time performance, scoring, rebounding, and assisting, taking a few charges as well. I know we don't get fancy points for those, but I wish we did. Anyway, 
Um, just a great all-around performance for Serge Jabari Rice. He was the guy that picked up the usage. Uh, and Arterio Morris, who is a freshman for Texas, got a little bit of minutes, a little bit of production off the bench. I think he's worth a look as well. But if Allen is out, Serge Jabari Rice is the guy that gets the upgrade for the Longhorns. We also got another big Dylan DeSue game. Might be worth going back to him as well. On the TCU side of things, Emmanuel Miller has dominated Texas. Uh, I believe he has missed one total field goal against Texas this season, which is crazy. Um, so definitely worth a look on his part. And then in the two Texas TCU games this season, they've both been pretty high scoring, but Mike Miles and Damian Ball have alternated big games against them. Miles had a big game the first time out. Ball had a big game the second time out. So I definitely think that probably one of those TCU guards, whichever one they try to stop is going to get stopped. Whichever one they're willing to live with shooting is going to be the one who has a big game. I, I don't know which one it's going to be, but you know maybe flip a coin. But I definitely think that one of those TCU guards is going to have a big game. And there's going to be some points scored here in this Texas TCU game. I really like Serge Jabari Rice if Timmy Allen continues to be out. All right, y'all. That does it for the Friday slate, for the early slate, and for the late slate. If you want to see how I take all that information and put it to, into a lineup, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. Um, and make sure if you want to see my thoughts on the Saturday and Sunday slates, give me a follow on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Um, I will be posting all my thoughts for the slates on there. Um, Y'all, it's almost Selection Sunday, which means it's almost bracket season. We're going to be doing a lot next week for the NCAA tournament uh, here on the podcast and with a whole lot of other stuff going on as well. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you'll be notified when new episodes drop. You listen to Monday's episode, we're going to be going over all the special stuff that we're going to be doing for the NCAA tournament. It is March Madness, y'all. We can't wait. So anyway, that does it for today's episode. Best of luck to you guys in all your DFS endeavors. Hopefully I was able to give you guys a lot of names, a lot of plays that you can get into your lineups on Friday. Thank you guys for listening. I will see y'all next week. And by the time I talk to you next, we'll have a bracket. Thank you guys. See you next time.